I'm guessing that uh, more than 95% who are present this morning did not grow up in New York City. If you grew up in New York City, would you raise your hand? Okay, I count six. (laughs) Just saying. Just six. So probably better than 95% of you. The overwhelming majority have their roots elsewhere in our nation or around the world. What that means is that uh, you chose to come here. You came here by choice. Now, some of you might report that you had to come because your employer insisted on it, but still that meant you chose to stay with your employer. It was still within your powers. Some of you came for school and stayed longer than originally intended. Some of you thought a stint in uh, banking or finance or law or another profession here in the city would situate you well in another geography, only to discover the powerful seductiveness of the city can grow like kudzu strangling old notions of a life's direction. A lot of you were prompted by a spirit of adventure. That was part of my story, I suppose. Maybe a lot of you had that spirit of adventure. Some came without much of a resume, other than a conviction that the city held a promise about your future. There are some present who came to sing, act, paint, dance, or otherwise unleash their creative energies. Some of you overcame great hurdles to get here, hurdles of money and family, language, culture, government. Some came fleeing oppressive or dysfunctional environments, home environments, for instance, seeking a geographical cure, as we might say. Others always knew the city had a part to play in your adventure. You experienced it like a call on your life. You may have been surprised by the turns in the road that brought you here and surprised that you've stayed on this road. And then, of course, there are some of you who think you're only going to be here a year or two or three. And from where I stand, I'm hoping that turns into 10 or 15 or 20, you see. Over the last decades, New York City has been rediscovered as a surprisingly wonderful place to raise children. When I first came here in 1987 and moved in with my then four-year-old and five-year-old, everybody that I knew outside of the city, family and friends, thought we were nuts bringing our children into the city in that time. Because in that time, a lot of folks in the city were taking their children out of the city when they were four or five. But that has completely reversed. 
It's one of the safest places you can raise children, actually, today, in our nation. And now with 30 years of experience here under my belt, I've been struck by by this restless spirituality. I've been thinking of late that my work has never seemed more relevant in a time of cultural upheaval. And I've told you before, we've talked about this before, that this gig has never been more challenging than it is today, given the sociological and technological and political disruptions in recent years. People, I would tell you, are spiritually restless and agitated and unmoored and undisciplined and unidentified religiously. Does that describe you by chance? Account for your presence here this morning, maybe? You know, consider the improbability of sharing this space with everyone else gathered here. I mean, it's highly improbable, isn't it? And can you see how every decision you have made over the course of your life up to this point thus far has had a part to play in landing you here at this precise minute on March 12, 19, I mean 2017. Now, in theory, there are any number of other places you could be, even wish you were, but you are not. You're here. And since this is a church, it occurs to me to ask if you think God had anything to do with this. You probably function from the perspective that not only are you the main actor in your own life drama, but you're also the playwright, the director, and the producer as well. If so, has the script been written from this point forward? From here, do you know where you're going? I suppose you might say, well, after service, I'm going to brunch. Which is all well and good as far as it goes, but we're really asking a more substantial question, aren't we? Where are you really headed? By what light do you travel? What matters to you most of all? What gods do you serve? And are you wanting something authentic and powerful on which to rely? Are you looking for faith by chance? You know, the kind that pierces through your cellular membranes into the very heart of your invisible essence. Gosh, we don't talk about this nearly enough, do we? Do you know Psalm 121? It's kind of famous. You hear it a lot at memorial services. It starts out, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? 
And then verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And here's what I'm thinking. I was reading that psalm this week. It occurs to me that there is an enormous distance between verse 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? Oh man, we know that verse really well. There have been times in your life when you have been lost or confused or just distraught. And you've wondered, how will I find my way? Where does my help really reside? Verse 2 answers it. It says, well, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But we, we spend most of our time in that space in between those two verses, don't we? We sort of situate ourselves right there and we can't quite get to verse 2, but we're really good with verse 1. Oh my, we can moan and complain and sweat and cry about verse 1, but how do we get to verse 2? What is required to get to verse 2? And I would tell you that it's actually kind of simple in theory, it means stepping off the pedestal of our own narcissism. Because after all, wallowing in our pain can become a form of narcissistic over-involvement, can it not? Stepping off the pedestal, opening our hands and hearts, and actually saying yes to God. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Distracted New Yorkers find it really, really hard to claim where they're help actually comes from. It's a mystery, really, why this is so difficult. Staking a claim and following through, and I can tell you again, in this spiritually restless time, it is a very hard sell. Where does our help come from? An advertisement caught my eye in a magazine. The bold letters on top announced, You just sold your company for $50 million. How quickly that feeling of euphoria can turn to fear. Then having captured your attention by touching the sensitive fear button, you squint to read the small copy down below and it says this finally you can relax all your hard work and late nights just turned into more wealth than you ever imagined you experience a feeling of euphoria then just as suddenly you experience a feeling of 
quite, that's quite foreign, fear. You realize that after years of knowing exactly what to do, you don't even know where to start. And then the copy continues, but and it says you, you quickly learn that what you need to quench your fear, where your true help comes from, is a certain wealth management firm. Now, notwithstanding this ad was directed to a highly select group of people, I thought it was an apt metaphor for those of us who have been caught like moths around the light of Manhattan in all walks of life. Not that most of us have managed to amass a fortune, but most of us have stepped out to follow our own byway of the yellow brick road to the Emerald City, the place where dreams can come true. And just as Dorothy and her Kansas sidekicks were dogged by fear in the land of Oz, so we are. Which is why that famous story remains so iconic within our culture. And as that ad makes clear, even amassing a fortune is no hedge against fear. Hitting the fear button is an excellent marketing tool since all of us are fearful about something nearly all of the time. Our scripture lessons today concern questing for authentic faith. The short verses from Genesis set the stage for four billion people today. Jews, Christians, and Muslims all look to Abram as their spiritual forebear, as prototype in faith. By the way, parenthetically, that's a good thing to hold in mind in our cultural moment as well. Four billion people count Abraham as their forebear. That makes them your sisters and brothers and cousins in faith. Those few words hardly seem adequate for such an astonishing outcome. Abram, listening to the voice of God, left his own version of Kansas, the home of his parents and family, for a new place where he's promised to become the father to a great nation. He can't possibly comprehend the result of his questing that we now assign to him thousands of years later. As the story is told, he stepped out in faith and let God handle the rest. Did you catch the last phrase of that Romans passage? He had faith in the God who brought the things that are out of the things that are not. That's a mind-blowing idea. Nicodemus took a much shorter journey under cover of night, but he's clearly searching for the heart of faith as well. Jesus' cryptic words about being born from above or born again leave Nicodemus wanting more. Interestingly, Nicodemus was a religious leader in his day, and I would say parenthetically, evidently, even religious leaders want renewal of their faith. I would tell you there are a lot of agnostic religious leaders in the world. A lot of them.
Did he receive what he was after? Was he reborn of the Spirit from above? Well, as John tells the tale, at the end of the Gospel, Nicodemus returns, now laden with a hundred pounds of spices and perfumes, we're told. He will help prepare Jesus' body for burial and lay him in the tomb. And I suspect he was as well positioned as anyone to receive the startling gift that was given Easter morn. And where does this leave us today? Well, as we said, all the life decisions you've ever taken have landed you here at this very moment. Looking out at you all and imagining the uniquely designed yellow brick paths that brought each of you here, I'm overwhelmed by the astonishing complexity leading to this precise moment. But in this minute, each of us hears the same proposition that a life well lived, a life tuned to listening for truth and oriented towards God boils down to the matter of receiving the gift of faith. All the roads lead to this, you see? It could be that you thought the spiritual quest was more complicated than that. It isn't. On the other hand, I know this sort of faith can seem elusive. Even for those of us like Nicodemus, who have been well-schooled in the religious arts. As I said, there are many agnostic religious leaders, but I imagine that over the course of your own life, you may have had a year or two where you visited that land as well. And you asked yourself, what road am I on after all? Friends, here is a very small discipline I recommend during the season of Lent. Intentionally walk with Jesus through his final days. Read the story. Do you have five minutes to read the story? Or are you too busy? Do you have five minutes to read the story? Because that's about how long it will take. Come to worship. Brood upon his words and actions. Sit in his presence. Listen. Take stock. Bracket your own agenda every now and again in the course of a day. Let God speak to you for a change. In order to let God speak to you, you have to sit still and quiet. Do you know that? Did you know that? 
you have to sit still and quiet and you have to turn off everything you can't have it in the same room with you I know you if it's there in the same room with you you're going to be captured you can't lay it face down on the table right in front of you because you're going to hear it buzz in order let me say this again it's one of the main challenges of a deepening spiritual quest in today's world in order to hear God you have to sit still and be quiet as part of your discipline repeat this mantra it's a short sentence very simple Lord increase my faith now I will tell you that that will have greater impact if you've done what I've said earlier that you're sitting still quietly and with a sincere intention say Lord increase my faith let it become a repetitive mantra throughout your day let's say that together right now just to try it out ready Lord increase my faith and again Lord increase my faith now you know what it feels like in your mouth and in your heart when you wake up in the morning say it out loud I find saying mantra prayers out loud a very excellent way of anchoring my intention in the now say it again when you're eating breakfast and again at lunch and dinner have it in your mind at the ready in any other moment that occurs to you you know there is no wrong time to say it you don't have to wait till next Sunday for instance there are only right times to say it if you stumble into a very dark place and you are lost and confused or hurting bad let that experience remind you to say this prayer Lord increase my faith the experience becomes your teacher not your enemy when you're looking up at the Wall Street canyons in lieu of the hills of Psalm 121 and you say from where will my help come Lord increase my faith when you're folding the laundry preparing a meal waiting for someone at a restaurant saying goodnight to your children brushing your teeth let it come to your mind let it be a regular Lenten discipline and here's a prediction if you are able to do this 
if you do this with a sincere heart, I chances are really good that you're going to discover that New York becomes imbued with a quality you hadn't thought possible. This city might actually begin to have the feel of the kingdom of God.